Let me read to you from the book of John. Uh, and we're going to focus a little bit on Easter today. And in particular on an extraordinary thing that happened at Easter, which really is the focus of all we do and all we are. In John chapter 20, verse 1, you've got that on your notes, you can read it today. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me, where have you put him? I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. You know, guys, Easter is a very special celebration. Um, it's remarkable in our increasingly secularized society that the two holiday celebrations that are still mandatory are the ones that celebrate the birth and the death of a man who lived over 2,000 years ago by the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, our whole global dating system, BC and AD, which has now been surreptitiously changed to BCE, uh, these are oriented and orient all of recorded history around the birth and the death of Jesus. Now, what's the most remarkable thing here? You know, the most remarkable thing is not that Jesus was a great man. There have been many great men and women over, over, over history. It's not even that he did miracles. Many people have done and do miracles. Elijah did miracles. Elisha did miracles. Moses did miracles. Many people today see God do incredible miracles through them. It's not even that he was killed for what he said and what he did. Many people have been killed for what they said and what they have done. The remarkable thing is this, that after saying he was God's son, and that he would die for the sins of the world like a Jewish sacrificial lamb, and then after he did, then God raised him from the dead. After three days and three nights. 
proving that he was no longer subject to death, that he was who he said he was, that he was justified by God, that he was declared by God with power to be true and holy in God himself. You see, what's utterly remarkable is the resurrection. It's interesting how we tend to preach the cross, yet if you go through the book of Acts, you find the disciples preached the resurrection. You see, the resurrection is not just the most important event in the Christian calendar. It is the most important event in the history of all mankind. Jesus Christ, Son of God, crucified as a sacrifice to satisfy justice for your sins and my sins. In fact, for the sins of the whole world. Wrapped in grave clothes, put in a sealed tomb, guarded by the elite military of the day. Three days later, alive, resurrected, declared by God to be free from death and given as a first fruits for us. I believe that what happened in the tomb is pivotal for us. Jesus referred to his own death by talking about Jonah being three days in the stomach of a whale. Let me read this to you. Matthew 12, 39. Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now let's think about this for a moment. So this man is swallowed by a whale. He's dead. I mean, he is. He's a dead man. If he's not actually technically dead yet, if he's still breathing, it's like literally a matter of time. He is dead. He is entombed in absolute darkness. He's slowly being burnt and digested by stomach acids. He is running out of air. Yet it is completely accurate to say that inside the whale is the location of the salvation of the city of Nineveh. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the depths of the grave. He knew where he was. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Verse 9, and I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah had rebelled. He'd gone, yeah, no, I'm out of here. No, I, I just had a guts full. I don't want to go and see Nineveh saved, and, and I, I'm just not interested in this. I, I know what God's going to do. He's going to let him off, and I, I hate these flipping Ninevites, and I, I'm not going to do this anyway. So he ran. And then before long, he found himself entombed in that well, and he knew unequivocally that it was God who had got him there. But that was where he repented. That was where he turned himself back towards God. And that is where he committed himself to fulfill whatever it was that God required of him. I'm telling you, if God has asked something of you, you don't want to wait till you are in a tomb experience before you turn around and say, yeah, God, I'll make good on that. That's where Jonah was. And that was where he turned around. That was where 
the salvation of Nineveh was established. It was won there. It was done there before he ever went there. And that is tremendously significant. Jonah brought about the salvation of Nineveh. Jesus brought about the salvation of the whole world. Could it be that what happened in the tomb, as with Jonah, is pivotal for our understanding of salvation and purpose? So what was Jesus' experience of the tomb? What's intriguing to me is that we find fascinating detail about some aspects of something that went on in the tomb. Is that scripture there randomly? Is it because because John was writing this for a university assignment and had to bump it up to 3,000 words and he was running a few words short? This is what scripture tells us. We know he was completely bound in grave clothes. We know that he was entombed by darkness. We know that he had huge obstacles blocking the way out. A massive stone, a massive rock, and a Roman guard. I don't know about you, but it sounds a little bit like how our lives can be sometimes, doesn't it? We can be completely bound up in issues struggles, problems, addictions, and sin that we just can't seem to get free of. We can sometimes find ourselves stuck in the dark with no sense of direction, no idea about what to do next or where to go. And we can find ourselves with obstacles in our way that seem to us to be so huge, so insurmountable that we feel utterly powerless to move past them. You know, the Apostle Paul experienced this. In one moment, this successful, talented young man found that the life that he had known had ended. He was a rising star. He was dealing with this problem of Christianity, these Christ followers. When Jesus himself speaks to him on the road, while he's on a work trip, He's on the road, and in, in this incredible experience, God speaks, Jesus speaks to him, blinds him, gives him instructions on what to do next. Now think about it. You've got this guy, he's got the whole world before him, he's focused, he knows exactly what he's doing and where he is going, and then all of a sudden, it is over. He's blinded, he's, he's surrounded by darkness, his world shrinks to the length of his arm, he's bound up in his singular vision, to deal with this issue. He's consumed with violence and anger. He is sanctioning the deaths of people. He is hunting people down. And all of a sudden now, he's lost everything. You've got to wonder if Paul was asking himself, is this God's judgment on me? Has he blinded me? I mean, it wasn't like he could shoot along to the ophthalmologist It wasn't like he could go and and get some cataract surgery. It wasn't like someone was going to diagnose us. Within his world, he was blind, and that was all that he knew for the foreseeable future. And Paul knew the fate of the blind. The obstacles he faced right then were more than he could deal with. Three days, the scripture tell us, he was so traumatized that he ate and drank nothing. Here is a man on the verge of complete breakdown on the verge of death itself. You ever been in a place like that when somehow something happens? Many years ago, I went through a a period of burnout. Uh, 
I felt that all the responsibilities that I had rested upon me. I was, I was working hard and working harder. And, and as I went into burnout, I began to lose my sense of perspective. I became cynical and depressed. And my, my ability, my efficacy in work just went through the floor. I couldn't get stuff done. I'd, I'd kind of come to and I'd been sitting at my desk for an hour and doing nothing, which enraged me about myself and frustrated me. So I would drive myself to work harder all the while getting deeper and deeper into the hole. My world was pretty dark in that season. My marriage was in a tough place. My kids would ignore me when I came home from work, hoping to escape my general grumpiness. The obstacles seemed insurmountable. Let me ask you, how about you? You've been in a dark place? You've been in a tomb experience? where your options seem to disappear, where you don't know how you got here and you sure as heck don't know how to get out of here and with obstacles in front of you, you seem powerless to shift. I want us today to look at, to Jesus. I want us to look to the, the powerful things that happened in his tomb experience that not only produced a resurrection that we are told is what we will participate in as well, but also I believe has principles for us when we face similar things. The first thought today is this, and I want you to write this in your notes. Take off your grave clothes. I'm fascinated by what Jesus left behind in the tomb. We are told specifically that the grave clothes were left behind. We were told specifically that the headpiece was folded and placed there separately. I've often wondered why. Why such a seemingly irrelevant detail was carefully recorded in the scriptures for all time? The grave clothes, I mean, who cares about the grave clothes? They could have just, poof, disappeared. Like, they could have just vaporized. They could have been taken. They could have been dropped outside. I mean, who cares? Like, no one was going to, like, no one going to take this down to save Mart and use them again. Like, this wasn't going to go to the second hands. Like, who cares about the grave clothes? And yet this detail is given to us specifically. What is it about that? I've been around long enough to know that nothing in Scripture is accidental or irrelevant. And I'm convinced I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus left them there for a reason, that there is a point that God wants us to get that relates to us living the resurrection in our everyday lives. And here is the thought. What you got wrapped up in that got you into your tomb, you've got to leave behind when you come out. Paul could not enter into the life God had to him, taking with him all the things he was wrapped up in. All of, the, all, of his, all of his focus on the law and his, his zeal to, to eradicate any opposition, his sense of justice and judgment that he brought, he could not carry that into the life that Jesus had for him. This is the man who taught and preached on the grace of God. And he could not have done that if he hadn't left behind all of those things that got him there. You know, in my burnout, I had to leave behind my pride, my self-reliance, my idolatry of work. What about you? You know, too many Christians in my experience try to live a victorious Christian life still bound in their grave clothes. Sometimes from before that were saved. 
sometimes from a difficult situation, they found themselves in offense that happened, a, a deep disappointment, a hurt, something that went on. It's like they're crawling around, you know, wrapped up from head to toe going, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, I'm loving life, but actually they are stuck. You know, Christians that have gone through dark times, depression, burnout, failure, breakdown, and they're trying to live free, but they never took off the things that got them into that place. Their need for approval, their workaholism, their, their, uh, their unforgiveness. It's like they're living in their gray clothes. And they're wondering why they're not experiencing the joy and the love that God promises them. Hebrews 12 verse 2, let us throw off everything that hinders the author writes, in the sin that so easily entangles. What a perfect illustration of someone bound up in grave clothes. Ephesians 4, put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm telling you, the things that you are wrapped up in that got you into your tomb, You've got to leave them behind when you come out. The second thought is this. You've got to find your keys. This is fascinating. Revelations 1 verse 18 gives us an extraordinary little bit of insight into something that happened when Jesus was in his tomb experience. In Revelations 1 18, it says, I am the living one. This is Jesus speaking. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of what, life? No, I hold the keys of death and hell. You see, when Jesus was raised, he came out, listen to this, he came out carrying something that he didn't have when he went into his tomb experience. The keys to death and hell. He took these off the devil, which is why the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Why? Because we have the keys now. He used to have the keys. The devil used to have the keys, but we have the keys now. That's why the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Salvation, healing, eternity with God are open to us. And through what he came out of the tomb with, the world and people's lives are changed forever because he has those keys now. God can plunder what the devil thought he had. God can go into places because of what Jesus came out of the tomb with that the devil thought he had locked down. And here's the thought today. The things you come out of your tomb experience with will be the keys which will unlock many people's lives. They will be the keys to your greatest ministry effectiveness. You know, Paul came out of his tomb experience with the personal revelation that Jesus was alive and that he was accepted. I mean, Paul knew it, man. He knew it like he knew it because Jesus had spoken to him on that day in Damascus. And as a result, Paul preached powerfully that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was alive. 
Paul as a Jew, as a Pharisee, with a revelation that this Jesus, who they all argued against so strongly, was actually alive. Man, you couldn't stand up against that. For him, that was a key that unlocked the hearts of many Jews. Many influential Jews were shifted by his revelation. Where did he get that revelation from? He got it from something that happened when he was in his darkest place. The woman caught in adultery. My gosh, she would have come out of that with an understanding of God's grace and a revelation of her worth that I am confident didn't just benefit her, but gave her a unique insight into God's grace for those caught in sexual sin. In my life, I came out of that burnout time with keys, keys to understanding balance, keys to understanding self-care. And when I share this, with leaders and pastors, it unlocks people in ways that I could never have foreseen had I not gone through that myself. And here's the thing for us today. What is it for you? Sometimes we come out of tough times. We come out of dark experiences and we come out and we feel like we've got nothing. And so here's what I'd say to you. You need to go back, I mean, not actually go back into that place, but in your mind, in your thinking, and in, in, in reflection, you've got to go back to that place because I'm telling you, there are keys in your dark season that God wants you to carry out into your new season that will unlock the lives of people around you if you'll do it. Don't waste a great tomb experience. Don't waste a season of depression. Don't waste a season of breakdown. Don't waste a season of loss. Don't waste a season of heartbreak or heartache because I'm telling you, somewhere in there are keys that God wants you to bring out. And if you will take hold of those keys, if you will find those keys, and if you will use those keys, you will unlock people's lives for the glory of God. Here's the third thought this morning. You've got to trust God to move your obstacles. Have you ever wondered why the angels were there? Have you ever wondered why the angels were there? Were they there just to pass a message on to Mary? Like God's like, oh, Jeepers, I need someone to tell Mary what's going on. You boys, can, oh, you're on. Can, oh, you guys are rostered on today. I need you down there. Is that, is that what that was all about? Was it, was it just to add a stamp of supernatural authority to make the story sound cool? Was it, was it there for, for something like that? God was here, see, angels, God was here. Like, what was that all about? Do you realize that with a tomb, the stone can't be removed from the inside? The angels removed the stone. The angels dealt with the Roman guards. Scripture tells us that they were found asleep. If you know anything about Roman guards in that day, there was one thing they did not do, and they did not sleep when they were on duty. Why? Because it was punishable by death. And every Roman soldier who'd ever crucified anyone, and there were seasons when, when you, you could drive out of cities and there would just be hundreds of bodies crucified on, like on power poles down the side of the road. Uh, Romans were, Roman soldiers were as good as they were because they knew what the punishment was if they weren't good. These boys just didn't go to sleep. The angels put them to sleep. I don't know if they tasered them, if they did like blow dart, if it was just like a Spock, you know, Star Trek thing on the shoulder. And I don't know how they did it. 
Again, this is another reason why I'm hoping there's a gigantic DVD library in heaven where we can just go and pull up key bits from biblical history. We can check it out. I want to see the parting of the Red Sea. I want to see what the angels did to the soldiers. There's a bunch of stuff. I've got a list. I've got a list. Here's the thought today. God will shift the obstacles that we can't. God will shift the obstacles that we can't. You know, in Scripture, we see angels from time to time. Sometimes it's actually Jesus appearing. You can tell. When people fall down before an angel and call an angel Lord and the angel doesn't debate it, you know it's Jesus. Because when it happens to an angel, the angel is the first one to say, get up on your feet, don't worship me. I am, I am just a created being like you are. Psalm 91 verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Speaking of David, when he was on the run, Psalm 91 verse 4, because he loves me, said the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. And sometimes angels are actual angels. And sometimes angels are people fulfilling angelic functions. Angels like Ananias. God says to Paul, go to a specific house on a specific street. And through him, through this guy Ananias who lived there, God shifted what Paul couldn't shift. Ananias prayed for him. Scales fell from his eyes. He was healed. He could see. That was not something Paul could do. Paul needed an angel, someone that would do that for him. It was Ananias who healed him from his blindness, commissioned him by God, and sent him on his way. Sometimes God provides angels in our lives. Amen. What about the woman caught in adultery? Have you ever thought about, about that person in the crowd? You see, when Jesus said, let him among you who is without sin, cast the first stone, everybody was waiting. Everybody was waiting to see who it was. Who was the most holy? They were waiting who was going to be the one to throw the stone, the first stone. Who was the first one? Who, out of all the Pharisees here, who was the one who considers himself truly most holy before the Lord, who will actually pick up a stone and start this thing and end this thing? Because everyone was waiting for that person and instead there was someone there who fulfilled the role of an angel, someone who had the courage to say, it's not me. That first person who turned and shouldered his way through the crowd and realized this wasn't going to happen today. This first person who was struck in humility by their own sinfulness as a result of what Jesus had said and in their humility acknowledged that and turned and walked away. That angel, that person was the one who shifted for the woman caught in adultery what she could not shift herself. And when they saw their own sinfulness, one by one they went away until it was only her and Jesus. For me, it was an elder and his wife Liz and I rocked up to their front door at 8 a.m. on New Year's Day. Who does that? Don't come to my door at 8 a.m. on New Year's Day. I'll be asleep. They let us in their house. They listened to my struggles. They gave me the use of their batch. They gave me some life-changing books. They gave me love and support and advice that set me on the road to recovery. God did that for me. I have no doubt that they were fulfilling an angelic function that day. And, I, and, and now the question is for you. What is it for you? Maybe some of us here, for us, our tomb experience was some time ago, but I challenge you to think back and look for the angel. Look for the things that God shifted that you couldn't shift. For those of us that are in a tomb experience right now, I'm telling you, don't despair over the things that you feel you can't shift. God will shift the things that you can't shift.
We'll get the team up as we come to a conclusion today. You see, the resurrection is not just God's plan for Jesus. The resurrection is God's plan for you too. In 1 Peter 2.21, it says that we walk in his steps. Jesus says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. This is our heritage. This is our inheritance. The same power, Scripture says, that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside you. Get your head around that one for a sec. So can I say today that when we find ourselves in a tomb, may we understand that this is God's opportunity to change the world again through us like he did through Jesus on that Easter day. Have you been in a dark time and you didn't see God's plan in it? Maybe it's time for us to pause again and realize that our dark experiences are places where God is true to his word and he is at work whether we see it or not. Perhaps you've been through a tomb experience but you're still wearing the grave clothes. You've still got old hurts, old forgivenesses, old attitudes, old issues, old sin you just haven't dealt with. You just haven't, you haven't done the work. You haven't cast it off. You're still carrying things around. You want to have your cake and you want to eat it too. Why don't you cast those things off this morning, shrug them off, envision them and leave them behind and commit yourself to walking away free today the close of our service, if that's you, I'd like to invite you to come forward and get prayer. Perhaps you've come through a dark time feeling you have nothing to show for it. Let me ask you, what are the keys that God wanted you to take off the devil and bring out to unlock others? I guarantee you, if you look, you'll find them. Finally, perhaps you've found yourself hemmed in by obstacles that you have no idea how to shift. Today, will you trust God? Trust God to send His angels to remove the obstacles. Like we talked about last time, maybe you need to stop asking or stop complaining and start thanking Him. Thank Him in advance for what He's going to do. Thank Him that He is at work in all things. Thank Him that it is coming. Thank Him that it is just a moment away. He is the God of the resurrection. He is the God of breakthrough. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus. You don't know him. You've never given your life to him, never invited him into your world. I want to speak to you just for a moment. Or maybe you have someone who, maybe you had a relationship with God at some point. But actually, if you're really honest right now, you're miles away. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's for you. See, He loves you. He loves me. He loves, he loves every person every relig- of every religion, every person of every situation. He loves us. The Bible doesn't say, for He so loved the Christians that He gave His only Son. It said He so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And that's what we celebrate this Easter. The Bible also says that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of the mark that He has for us. You have, I have, we all have. Because of that, we can't know God or experience His love or plan for our lives. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not I could be, I might be, I should be. I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
And he said, you can know the Father through me and only through me. The Bible says, for all those who received him, for those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so this morning, if that's you, if you know you've got to get right with God this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. A prayer of handing your life over to Jesus, of inviting Him into the center of your world, of receiving His forgiveness and committing yourself to Him. If that's you, why don't you pray? We're all going to close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. If that's you, would you pray this along with me? In your heart, out loud, whatever you want. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I confess that I am a sinner. I have rejected you as the rightful authority in my life. But today I believe that Jesus came for me. Would you forgive me of my sins? As I forgive those who have sinned against me. Would you fill me with your spirit and make me know? Thank you for receiving me as your child right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.